Well, if you want to find your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're continuing our series on Thrive. I want you to know it is so good to see you. I've been looking forward to this last Sunday, uh, being online, uh, but now being able to be in person. And for all of you who are joining us online, we're so grateful that we have the privilege of being able to worship, to pray, and to open up God's Word together. And we've been talking about thriving. What does it look like to be a thriving believer or a spiritual leader? In the book of First Thessalonians, those first two chapters really give you a lot of clarity as to what that looks like. And one of the blessings of being a part of Fellowship Bible Church is that we have so many people in our church that are thriving. They got a contagious love for God, for His Word. They love people. They're willing to serve. They give graciously. They see their life as a ministry. And you might be wondering, well, what are, though, the characteristics of a thriving believer? What does it look like to be a thriving leader? Could we actually just find from Scripture where that is actually spelled out with real clarity so that we have a good understanding of what God is seeking to cultivate in our lives and what we aspire to? And that's what you find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Now, you might be thinking like, well, hey, how does God just use a person like me? I feel super normal. I've got some joys, I've got some challenges, I've got struggles, and I've got, I've got my share of failure. You might be wondering, well, how is God going to use me? I'm just a student in school, I'm trying to make it, there's more homework than brain cells at times. You might feel like I'm just swimming and barely making it at my job. Uh, maybe you're a mom and a wife, and you know, you got a 20-hour-a-day, right, job. And, uh, and you got four hours to yourself, you use that basically to pass out to recover because you're back at it again. And you're like, how does, how does God use me in the midst of my life and its challenges and all of the responsibilities? That's why this text is so important. It highlights three key traits of believers and leaders that are thriving in Christ. And remember this, that your relationship with Christ is the key to thriving in life. Your relationship with Christ is the key to thriving in life. And he's going to spill it out in just some rather amazing detail of what thriving looks like. And first of all, you need to understand that your relationship with Christ develops a confident faith. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, we looked at it a couple weeks ago, but I want you to see how he highlights that thriving comes from a confident faith in God. Let's take a look. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. He says, you yourself have firsthand knowledge. When we showed up in Thessalonica, the last place we had been was in Philippi. If you recall, it was in Philippi that they had been beaten, falsely accused, incarcerated. Though they are Roman citizens, they, were, they had received no trial. And yet, in their humble physical state, they thrived spiritually. And God used them significantly, and eventually they were released, and they were asked to leave. They make their way to Thessalonica. And Paul writes, our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't a failure. It wasn't meaningless. You need to remember that there is a purpose in our suffering, and that's what Paul is highlighting here. And notice, where does, though, confidence in Christ come from? Do you see it, verse 2? 
It is boldness in our God. You might want to underline that. Boldness in our God. It's, there is power in God's presence. Every time we look to him, we spend time with him, and we draw our strength from him, there is power in his presence, a power that gives us confidence, hope, faith, peace, strength, the ability to persevere, the ability to have courage in the face of all sorts of difficulty and circumstances, including persecution. There is power in his presence. And this confident faith that they have, it wasn't that God just like removed all the difficult circumstances, just kind of like waved a wand like, oh, everything's fine and perfect. And then they had boldness in our God. No, confidence in our faith comes in the midst of the difficult circumstances. You and I, Despite how heavy or difficult or challenging it might be, we can thrive when we find that there's a purpose in our pain and knowing that there is power in God's presence. You see, when it comes to thriving, sometimes we get the idea that God is just looking for greatness. Actually, what he's seeking to develop and cultivate is faithfulness. And when you have a confident faith in Christ, I want you to know it is contagious. When people see it, when they hear it, when they watch you live it out, especially in difficulty, in challenge, when they see a confident faith in Christ, that God has cultivated that in your life and it's being expressed, it's contagious and it's inspiring. And by the way, it is a key trait of a thriving believer and a thriving leader. They have a confidence and a confident faith. But there's a second trait that Paul highlights, and that's found in verses 3 through 6. You not only have a confident faith, and we looked at that two weeks ago, verses 1 through 2, but you also have clear integrity. And notice, in verse, beginning in verse 3, in verses 3 and 4, he's going to highlight having a clear integrity with the Word of God. Look what he says, verse 3. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. It's possible that false teachers had actually moved in. These are philosophers that have come in to discredit the Apostle Paul. And this is exactly how false teachers work. When they see truth and see people representing truth and doing so accurately, they try to undermine, try to discredit that individual. And it happens. It happens on a pretty regular basis. And he says, we came, when we brought the word of God to you, when we brought our exhortation, we did so with integrity. He... He's, what he's doing is he is speaking in the midst of a culture that had a lot of people that would manipulate others. You had these philosophers, different teachers that would come in, and really how they made their living is by manipulating people and deceiving them. They, would, uh, they were dishonest. They would look for, try to just make money off of people. Um, some of this would be involved in trying to actually secure sexual favors from women, 
by, so, by coming, coming across as like they were some great power. They would use sorcery, different little magic acts. They were trying to come off as some sort of power and some sort of authoritative voice. And Paul says, we are nothing like that. He says, we came with clear integrity. In fact, he says, you know, we came, our exhortation does not come from error. It's not incorrect. Our preaching and teaching was also not from impurity, which has the idea of personal ambition, greed, pride, or popularity. We didn't have impure motives when we came to you. And furthermore, he says, nor did we come by way of, you see that in verse 3, deceit. This was a word that was used in hunting and fishing. To lure, to entrap, to pretend or to, to give the appearance that you are something that you actually are not. And he says, we didn't come in any way to deceive you. We were actually, notice what he said, entrusted with the gospel. We've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And so he says, we speak, like he says, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. We are before God coming to you with absolute integrity. We are bringing to you the gospel that we've been entrusted to us. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ delivers us from the payment of sin when we trust in him because he's paid it on our behalf, but it is also a call to lifelong discipleship. It's not like you just get forgiveness, like, great, I've got salvation and I do whatever I want. I know that's what a lot of people think. But the gospel is the good news that he has called you into relationship with himself. He wants you to grow into the fullness of maturity in Christ. And he says, God entrusted this gospel to us. And we want, you need to know that our exhortation, our teaching, our preaching came with absolute integrity. God is the one who examines our heart. He knows what's really going on. He knows our heart, our, our motives and desires and all this. And it's coming from a place of absolute integrity and purity. And friends, you need to know that integrity with the word of God is critical to thriving in Christ. There's a theologian by the name of Stanley Harwas. He wrote an article called Sinsick. And in it, he uses a medical analogy. And so he writes of this this experience where at a particular medical school, there is one student that said, that's it. I am not taking anatomy. I, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah, I want to be a doctor, but I'm not taking anatomy because you know what I'm into? I really want to just focus on people. And hence, I, I'm really going to give myself to just figuring out how to really relate well to people. How do you think that would work? And I, I'm just looking around. I know that some of you went to med school. How, how would that work if you said, we're not, I'm not doing anatomy? Would it work? Absolutely not, right? You either figure out if you want to be a doctor, you're going to have to take this, and you've got to be good at it because people are counting on it. And that was part of what he was writing here. says, because people believe that incompetent physicians can hurt them. Do you believe that? Do you think if you have an incompetent physician that they can hurt you? Yeah, they can. And so what he's saying is, you know, for the church for about a millennia, has thought that bad teaching is more deadly 
than bad surgery. But what's happening, though, is that's changing. He's he's writing and said that you don't want your doctor just to be relatable. Now, if you're a doctor, I want you to know, like, the bedside manner thing, that is very important to your patients. And they, they tell me about, like, well, my doctor is kind. But you know what they really want? They want you competent. They want to know that you are really good at medicine, that you know what you're doing, that you care about them, and you are going to give yourself to give them the best medical care possible. You are practicing medicine correctly and truthfully. So he says, we believe that about medicine, right? So then this is what he writes. So we need to be as discerning in whom we trust the care of our souls as we are the care of our bodies. Isn't that true? Like in every realm, you're an engineer, you're an educator, you're in the trades, you have got to have skills, you got to be trained in them, right? And you have to be good at them. We expect that because what you do is important. But what's happening now, and so many people are not even thinking about this, is that pastors, missionaries, Spiritual leaders, they, they actually really aren't good. They don't even know much about what's in the Bible. And frankly, that's not that important anymore. You see, what you want to do is you want to find spiritual leaders, pastors, missionaries that will love you enough to do the hard work to present the truth accurately to you. The goal isn't to be popular. The goal is what? to feed your soul with the truth of God's word so that you grow to the fullness of maturity in Christ, to present the gospel as it's revealed. Frankly, what I have to say and what I think about matters isn't really that important. Do you know what's important? God and what he's revealed. That's what is important. So you want to find spiritual leaders and pastors in your life that are going to teach you the truth, not just tickle your ears like they refers to in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. You see, your spiritual depth and your level of maturity is oftentimes directly tied to the spiritual depth, the development, and the skill that those pastors, those teachers have in bringing the word of God to you. You'll always find that to be the case. And so what he's emphasizing here, Paul is saying our exhortation came with integrity. God is our witness. You see, if you're going to thrive, you've got to have clear integrity with the word of God. And that's what he's presenting here. But second of all, you have to have clear integrity with your way of life. It's not that you handle the word well, but you also have a life that backs it up. Look what he says, beginning in verse 5. He says, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. We didn't come with insincere speech just to flatter you, just to kind of butter you up. He says, we are different than those sages and those flattering speakers that basically try to figure out what people wanted to hear and would tell them that, and that's how they functioned. The philosophers, some of these folks that were just basically moving from community to community, what they did 
And so they're just trying to figure out what the winds of culture were. Like, oh, that's what they want to hear. And you know what? That's what they told them. Sound familiar? So commonplace. That's not how it works with God and his representatives, his people, and his spiritual leaders. It's not like we need to figure out the way which when the culture is blowing and that's what we're going to tell them. We give them the truth. And we do so from a life with integrity. We're not trying to flatter them. We're not coming, like he says, with a pretext for greed, with a motive of being covetous, to try to take money. That's not it at all. And he says, God is our witness. And furthermore, look what he says in verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. This isn't about our fame or our popularity. It's just really about God and his glory. He says, says, even though we're apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority, an apostle, the officially sent one, and setting up the foundation of the church, sent by Christ himself. But they were far more interested in their responsibility than any privileges that might come with it. You see, they had integrity in their way of life. What is integrity? Integrity is your ability to be true to your ethical standards. And as Christians, our ethics are given to us by God. It's his standards, his word. This is honesty, sincerity, incorruptibility, not being hypocritical or duplicitous, but that we are functioning from a life of integrity, that we see God developing in us through his spirit a willingness and a desire and an ability to live truthfully and aligned with the values that he has presented in his word. And I want you to know that integrity is essential to thriving. There's a book written by Ted Ingstrom called Integrity. And in it, he speaks of Coach Cleveland Stroud and the Bulldogs of Rockdale County High School in Conyers, Georgia. He writes of their basketball team, their championship season. They went 21-5. and five. In fact, they came from behind in the championship game. It was a dramatic comeback, and they won. And they got the state championship trophy for it. And it was awesome, and all the celebration, and, you know, all the hard work, you know, and it actually happened, your championship season. But today, their trophy case has a glaring hole in it. That trophy is no longer there. You see, what happened is apparently weeks after the state tournament was over, they discovered that on their team that they actually had a player who was academically ineligible, but they didn't know at the time throughout the entire tournament, they didn't know that this player was ineligible. And furthermore, this player hardly ever played the entire season and In the whole state tournament, they played him for 45 seconds, and he was not an impact player at all. It was like one of those situations, you know, where the coach is like, you know, I'm going to try to get you in. There we go. I think I can slip you in. You probably can't hurt us. They're not going to say that, but you know what I'm talking about. They get you in, and for 45 seconds, he had really no impact on the game whatsoever. They played this player, And and that was the first game of the tournament, by the way, and that was it. But once it was discovered, you want to see what integrity looks like? 
You, it looks a lot like Coach Cleveland Stroud, the guy sitting right there. And this is what he said to his team because he turned the trophy back in. And this is what he said. You've got to do what's honest and right and what the rules say. And this is what he told his team. Can't you see it? Seeing those boys, and they're like, whoa, what is going on here? And this is what he told them. I told them people forget the scores of basketball games. They don't ever forget what you're made of. They don't ever forget what you're made of. And that's what Paul is saying. God is our witness. Integrity is that important. People are going to forget a lot of things, but they will not forget what you are made of and whose glory you were really seeking. Know this. The primary ministry of a Christian is the ministry of character. The primary ministry of a Christian is the ministry of character. You see, who we are is far more important than what we say. I mean, people can say lots of different things, right? What's far more important is who you are. Are you a person of character? Do you have what we call integrity? And that's what Paul is saying. We came to you with integrity. And let's have just a nice little talk about just how important this is. Non-Christians often dismiss the claims of the gospel and consider our faith in Christ as simply invalid and worthless when we lack integrity, especially when it's pastors, missionaries, spiritual leaders, leaders of ministries, professors and leadership at Christian schools that lack integrity. And right now, we're paying for it in spades. Another significant worldwide Christian leader, highly respected. Find out. This guy is a total fraud and has lived a double life. And it is a regular mockery. In fact, the press just kind of picks up on things like this. There's this old Jesus bit, you evangelical believing in the Bible. What a joke. Here's one of your very best leaders. Friends, your Christian character, that is your capital on how you interface with people. In fact, if you've lost your character, you have just about lost everything. And you might be thinking, you know what? (laughs) I have taken a huge hit in the area of integrity. Is there any hope for me? What would you recommend Let me tell you, is there hope? Absolutely. What is your hope? I'll tell you what mine is. It's Jesus Christ. It's his gospel. You see, Christ cleanses us. Our identity is not in our past. It's not in our failure. It's in Jesus, who is crucified, died, resurrected on our behalf. If you want to restore your character or to build it, let me just tell you how you do it. Jesus Christ, your relationship with him, and developing patterns of consistency. You just grow in your relationship with him, and through that relationship, you develop patterns of consistency, no matter what your past might be. 
Christ manifests his character and his people. In fact, it's a picture of the transformation the gospel brings. And what is the secret of living a life of integrity? How do you do you do that? Well, this text tells us you seek to be pleasing to God in his strength, not just be pleasing people. If it's all about popularity for you and who likes you and how, how you can influence people because they think you're just such a great person, uh, you're going to probably find yourself in situations where you're willing to compromise because you've got the wrong God. But if it's all about him and his glory and in his strength, you're seeking to please him, that's the path of integrity. Now, I know we're living in a day where we say that character doesn't really count. And you see that in a lot of different arenas. It's, okay, so the guy or the gal, she's terrible morally. She's got bad ethics, but she knows how to make money. Or they're very effective in this area, and there's just a lot that we're just going to overlook. When it comes to Christians, we can't do that. Character counts. And that's what Paul is presenting here. You see, it matters how we treat our family, how we go about our business, how you do your schoolwork. Are you kind of cheating your way through and just finding ways to kind of find uh, manner, different pl- ways of getting the right answer on the test? Plagiarism, just copy papers and put your name on it, which, by the way, I want you to know, they can figure that out really fast, and you might have to learn that the hard way. Character counts in our business. Character counts in our family. Character counts in our community, and especially in our church. And friends, we got to be very concerned about God and his holiness and his glory. And when we are, we'll see just how uh, amazing it is to live lives of integrity. Deceitfulness will destroy your ministry with your family, in our community, and in our church. You see, thriving believers, they're thriving because they have a confident faith and they have clear integrity, clear integrity with the word of God and clear integrity in their way of life. But there's one other trait that I want to highlight, and that is you find in verses 7 and 8, they have a compelling love. Look what he says, verse 7. He says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. And I can assure you that Paul was a man's man. This guy is bold and tough. He didn't run when the going got tough. He stood in there and he took it. But notice how he speaks of leadership and the terms of compelling love as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. I can assure you, you'll go to no leadership conference, and that's going to be the imagery they're going to give you. Has that ever happened? No. But by the way, this is the imagery that is used of Moses in Numbers chapter 11, verse 12, when he led the people through the desert to the promised land. Talk about a leadership challenge. This is the exact same imagery, and Paul says, We came in a like manner. We loved you from the heart. And notice he says, we prove to be gentle. Gentle has the idea of being kind. And it really introduces a host of virtues. It's kindness, but that kindness is is, uh, manifested in acceptance, respect, 
compassion, tolerance of imperfections, patience, tenderheartedness, and loyalty. He says, we came to you with gentleness among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Now, it's more than just like, wow, that's an image of great care. Nursing mom, right? But contextually, what has he been talking about? He's been talking about the role of the word of God, of exhortation, of it coming with integrity. Now, think about it. We know this, that the diet of the mother determines the nourishment for the child, right? Whatever mom is consuming, that gets translated to the nourishment for her infant, right? That's how it works. And so if mom is eating good food, and that's why we encourage you need to really take good care of yourself and you need to be eating healthy, why? Because you got a little one that's very dependent upon you. But if mom goes, yeah, I'm just pretty much into my junk food, or worse, start, I, I really like these things. I know they could be harmful, but I deserve this. Or they take just things that are poisonous. It not only affects her, it affects her children, her nursing children. With that imagery in mind, Paul says to you, we came to you like a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. You see, what you consume gets translated through your life. If you are a spiritual teacher, you're involved in any influence as a parent, what you're consuming in your life gets passed on to those who are following you, those who you're influencing. And he uses this word like tenderly cares. It literally speaks of body heat, okay? To warm with body heat. Now, some of us, that's how we got through this last week, right? And we kind of understand that. And he says, that's how I cared for you. Leading like a mother. How does a mom lead? I'm just looking out, I, you know, I see moms. We could bring you up here. You're probably too humble to say this, but let me just tell you how a mother leads. She is encouraging, supporting, challenging, nurturing, correcting, and protecting. Why? Because she will do anything for her children to thrive, right? Whatever it takes. I mean, there is more, no more noble calling than to be a mom because she literally gives her life for the development and the thriving of her children. And Paul says, that's how we came to you. You see, if you're going to thrive as a leader, as a believer, you've got to have a compelling love, and that's what it looks like. And, and notice what he said in verse 8. He says, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become so very dear to us. Can you imagine hearing those words? Like, whoa, wow, so very dear to us. You cared for us deeply. Friends, we need to continue to grow in our ability to show and demonstrate and to speak of a compelling love. What does that just even look like? It looks like telling people, you're important to me. I value you. I'm with you. I'm standing with you. Praying with people. Letting them know that the borders of your heart are being expanded and they're a part of it. That you love them from the heart. And Paul is saying, we not only brought to you the gospel, we told you about Jesus. We brought to you the word with accuracy. 
We're willing to suffer to bring that message, but we shared our own lives with you. How powerful is that? You see, love is a way of life. It's a way of life. Love is a way of life. And that's what he's demonstrating here. That's why they're thriving. That's why he's thriving. They have a compelling love. And he says, we modeled truth for you. We gave you our own lives, not just the message, but we modeled it. I've thought of different people in my life who have modeled what it means to be a a dad, a husband, a pastor. I've learned a lot from mentors, past and present. I've watched good friends of mine and even mentors die. What does it look like just even getting up to those final hours and watch them die well in Christ? You know what I'm doing? I'm learning. They invited me in and I got to see, not, not just hear the message, but to see it. And that's what Paul is presenting here. We have that kind of affection for you. You see, caring relationships, love, that's what makes a church thrive. It's not just, well, that's why we got pastors for. We'll have the pastors, they'll do the love thing, we'll watch. No, 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 this is for all of us. Love is a way of life. Think of it this way. Lives touching lives is what makes a church thrive. Lives touching lives is what makes a church thrive. That is why you can't live in isolation. You've got to be in the local body. That is how the New Testament is written. It assumes that. It commands that. Because the only way a church can thrive is if you have lives touching lives. And so let me just ask you, how is God developing you? How is God developing you in these traits? Having a confident faith. Having clear integrity with the word of God and with your way of life. And having a compelling love. To the degree that these traits are being manifested in our midst as God is developing them is the degree our church is thriving. And this is what thriving believers and leaders look like. It's having these three traits. I was doing some reading, and um, I came across a, a pastor by the name of Jim Cimbala. And I, I'm certainly familiar with him, but he writes of an experience that I found it really had to cause me to do a lot of introspection, thinking about this and just even my own life. And, and what, is, what does this look like? What is ministry? And he writes of these experiences. And I want you to know that God is in the work of developing my heart. He's in the process of developing your hearts as well. Listen to the, what he writes. He said, one Sunday in our church service, a woman who sings in our choir, a former drug addict with the HIV virus, told the story of how she came to Christ. She described in raw detail the horrors of her former life. A street person named David stood in the back listening closely. The meeting ended, and I was exhausted. After giving and giving, I had just started to unwind when I saw David coming my way. I am so tired. I thought, now this guy is going to hit me up for money. When David got close, the smell took my breath away. A mixture of urine, sweat, garbage, and alcohol. After a few words... I reached into my pocket, 
pulled out a couple of dollars for him. I'm sure my posture communicated, here's some money, now get out of here. Well, David looked at me intently, and he put his finger in my face and said, look, I don't want your money. I'm going to die out there. I want this Jesus this girl has been talking about. I paused, and then I, I looked up, and then I closed my eyes, and I said, God, forgive me. For a few moments, I just stood there with my eyes closed, feeling soiled and cheap, and then a change came over me. I began to feel his pain, to see him as someone that Christ had brought into the church for that moment. I spread out my arms, and we embraced. Holding his head to my chest, I talked to him about his life and about Christ. But it wasn't just words. I felt them. I loved him. That smell. I don't know how to explain it. It had almost made me sick before, but it became beautiful to me. I reveled in what had been repulsive. I felt for him what Paul felt for the Thessalonians. We were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. The secret to Paul's ministry was what I felt that night. That divine love became supernatural power. The minute my attitude changed, David knew it. He responded to that love and allowed me to minister to him. The gospel got through to David that night. I was a detriment until God got me back in tune. Friends, remember this. Relationship with Christ is the key to thriving in life. Let's pray.